Thank you so much, team, for leading us. And if you got your Bibles, we are in the Gospel of John. And if you'll join me there, we're going to walk through the first five verses this morning together and uh, begin walking through this Gospel account. And uh, I mentioned this, it was the Sunday right after Christmas, but but even just again, it was so awesome to get to uh, over the holiday season. I got to meet many brothers and sisters and, and met... Um, cousins and met children and met grandchildren just to kind of in from out of town. And, and it was just awesome and, and, and love meeting people. And, and odds are possibly over this holiday season, you met folks as well. And, and even down spending time with Amber's family over the, the week, uh, met new people. And so typically what happens is um, there is a person, there's a person in common that we know, and that person in common will say, Hey, I want you to meet so-and-so. And, and they, they introduce you. And then maybe they say something about them or introduce them, talk about them. And then maybe you pick up the conversation from there. And, and now, you know, this new person And and I love the gospel of John, because I, I feel like, especially in these first couple verses, uh, this is what the apostle disciple named John is, is helping readers with. He is going to begin his, his gospel account. He's going to begin by introducing the world to the single most important person that a person could ever meet. And that is Jesus. And so as he walks us through, and we're going to see this this morning, is he's going to help us in just those first few verses say like, well, who is Jesus and why did he come? And John's gospel is so unique because if you look at Matthew's gospel, every, every New Testament gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and really every book of the Bible, there's an intended audience. And so it's written with an audience in mind, divinely inspired Men filled with the Holy Spirit, authoring God's word. This is what we have in the, in the Bible. And so with Matthew, he is writing his gospel account. He's writing it to the Jews. And so oftentimes through his writings, you will see over and over so that it would be fulfilled. And so it was fulfilled. And what, what Matthew, the, the Jewish tax collector, surrendered his life to Jesus is doing is he is showing a Jewish world how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is, he is the long-awaited Messiah. And then you look over at Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is the shortest. It's 16 chapters and it is packed. I mean, you, you start Mark and you're like on a roller coaster all the way through. And, and Mark's gospel was written to the Romans. And the Romans were a very fast paced culture, society, a very fast moving people. And so Mark's gospel kind of matches that. And, and it's presenting Jesus as the servant who came to serve. Mark 10, 45 is one of those kind of key passages that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Matthew wrote to the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans, Dr. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. His, his audience were the Greeks. And so he's writing to the Greeks, the, the sympathetic son of God, and he's, he's introducing them to Jesus. And so again, Matthew's writing to the Jews. Mark's writing to the Romans. Dr. Luke is writing to the Greeks. And John, and I love this. Who's John writing to? John's writing to the whole world. And he wants the whole world to hear and to meet and to know Jesus. That we'll see that as we walk through his text. And I mentioned a moment ago, why is he writing? 
He told us back in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he said, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So let's be encouraged that John isn't writing this gospel account so that we can ace a, a Bible quiz. He's not writing this so we can do really good in Bible trivia. He's not writing this so we can store up lots of good information about Jesus. He is writing this gospel so that we would believe in Jesus and so that we would have life in him. He is not writing for information. He is writing for transformation. That is that is his aim and that is his hope as he writes this. And he says, so that we would believe. That word believe is, is a unique word and it's written over a hundred times in, in John's gospel alone. And so it's believe can be used in different ways, even in our English language. And so like today I, I woke up and, and, and I, I look at the weather and I was a little discouraged. I'm just going to be honest with you, seeing that nice rain forecast all through the hours of church. Um, but, but I look at that and I say, I, I believe it's going to rain today. But what I'm saying is, I think it's going to rain today. And what John is hoping is he's not hoping that you will think that Jesus is God and the one that can give you life. He is writing so that you will believe that you will put your complete weight and trust and self completely in Jesus for your salvation. That is why he is writing. So he's writing with a, so that almost like an apologetic, like here's why you believe, here's why you can believe Jesus is, is God is the son of God. And so that you would believe and have life. That word life is eternal, everlasting life. He is writing with an evangelistic appeal to those who are apart from Jesus to know Jesus. He wants us to know Jesus. He wants us to know Jesus. And so before John introduces us to Jesus, let's meet John just for a couple moments. Uh, we know a lot about John from the word. Uh, the word tells us that John uh, had a older brother and his name was James, James. And so if there's any younger brothers in the house, younger siblings in the house, John relates to you. John understands he had that older brother, James, and they had a daddy who uh, was named Zebedee. And, and they had a fishing business and everything we gather from scripture, uh, we gather that it was a successful venture. They were set up there on the Sea of Galilee and they had this successful family fishing business. But here's one thing I love about John is that for John, he understood what all of us at some point come to realize. And that is this, is that we can chase after success and we can chase after meaning and all kinds of different things. And many people seek after those things through uh, maybe a job or a family business, even like John. But evidently the success was not fulfilling. And evidently he had come to that time and place where he truly understood who Jesus was and that he was worthy of his entire life. And so we see John giving up security and giving up success, all to follow Jesus, the only one who can fulfill our deepest, deepest needs. And so for John, 
He, uh, he had a fiery side to him. Uh, maybe some of y'all can relate as well. Like, uh, it's awesome. He's known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's known as the apostle of love. But if you look early on as he's following Jesus, he was fiery. He had a, a fiery side. Matter of fact, Dr. Luke, his gospel in Luke 9 tells us that Jesus and the disciples were making their way through Samaria and uh, they did not want to have anything to do with Jesus in Samaria. And so here's what James and John said in Luke 9, 54, the Bible says when his disciples, James and John saw it, in other words, saw that they rejected Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> He's just like, they're rejecting us. Let's, let's, like, let's bomb them right now. Let's, let's nuke them. Let's set them on fire. That's what he's saying. And so you, you certainly see that kind of like, wow, John. Like, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus rebuked them. The Bible says that he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. But all through John's gospel, you see this like fiery, successful businessman who surrendered his life to Jesus and by the, by the last supper, he's the one laying his head on Jesus's chest. You see God transforming him as he followed Jesus to which I would encourage all of us. That's what Jesus does. He changes us. He changes us from the inside out as we follow him, as we yield to him, as we surrender to him, he changes us. And so I would just say in a, in a very loving and gracious way, and I, I know I've shared this before, but, but if there is no change in your life because of Jesus, there is no Jesus in your life because Jesus changes us. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the all become new. All things are new. And so for John, we have an opportunity to hear from him. He's had a front row seat to all of the miracles of Jesus. He gave up the family business. He is giving up security. He's all in on Jesus. He was a part of Jesus's inner circle. So we know he had the 12 disciples, but the Bible teaches us there was actually an inner circle of three that he brought for more intensive times of discipleship. And they were Peter, James, and John. This close-knit inner circle group. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. They were there when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. So, I mean, imagine being there. Jesus invites you in. Peter, James, John, come with me, guys. I want you to cease. I want you to be a part of this. And before their eyes, they watched Jesus raise this little girl from the dead. Not only that, if you fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is where the Gethsemane means the place of crushing. And this is where Jesus is praying on his, the night of his betrayal. The disciples went with him. He told the disciples to stay. And he asked Peter, James, and John to come with him into further into the garden. So they had this intensive time of discipleship. John saw a lot. He experienced a lot. John was the only disciple that was left at the cross when they brought Jesus's body down, Jesus asked John to take care of his mother for him. If you look at the, the, the race to the empty tomb, John made it first. He was the first disciple there. 
And so John saw and experienced so much. And, and, and here he is with this gospel account, wanting the world to know this Jesus, wanting the world to know who Jesus is. And in just these first couple of words or first couple of verses, he's going to tell not only who he is, but why he came. And so um, tradition tells us that, that John spent those latter decades in Ephesus. That's where he wrote this. He was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And then in Ephesus, he was exiled to Patmos and then released. And, and so it's in Ephesus where John wrote this account and he's writing and he's introducing us to Jesus. So let's look at this main idea that Jesus Christ is God. He came to give us life. This is this main idea that we cannot get used to. And the Bible says in John chapter one, verse one, he begins in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him not was not anything made that was made. First couple of verses, John is emphatically making crystal clear for the world to know that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Legionnaire ministry. They do a, a theology survey every two years, but it's interesting. The last one they did was 2020. When they asked the, 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 the United States uh, the question, uh, or, or do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus was a good teacher, great teacher, but he's not God? Over 50% of people said yes. To which perhaps maybe we would maybe expect that maybe from the culture we live in. But what was concerning was that among evangelicals, 30% of evangelicals said that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. You say, how, how, how does that happen? And, and the encouragement is that we cling to scripture, is that we understand who Jesus is through the scripture. What does the Bible say that Jesus is? And so Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. Goes back to Abraham. And he goes back from Abraham and he traces through uh, all of those names that we love to pronounce, right? In the, in the beginning of Matthew's gospel. And if you go to, to Mark's gospel, he jumps in at the baptism of Jesus. If you go to Luke's gospel, he jumps in at the birth of Jesus. But I love what John, John starts in the beginning. He goes before creation ever was, before the earth, before the universe, before creation. He goes to the very, very beginning. When he says the word in the beginning, in the beginning was God. That word beginning means source. It means origin. It can also mean one in authority. So in this case, Jesus is both. He is the one with all the authority in the world. And he was in the beginning. He always was. Jesus has always been in the beginning, before the universe, before the creation account in Genesis. Jesus has always been eternally preexistent. I love how Paul says in Colossians 1, he is before all things. Jesus is before all things. There's never been a moment when Jesus was not. In the beginning was, that word was means continuous action. So in the beginning, Jesus always was. Jesus always has been. Like he didn't just appear in flesh in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ is God and he has always been there. And I love how John says in the beginning was the word. Now just think, just try to take a mental note 
And maybe it's going to be a lot more than, than others, but think of how many words you have said so far today. I just kind of do a, a rough tally. And um, I might have all y'all beat so, so far as we had a service in Sunday school. But, um, but we use words. We use words all the time. Why do we use words? We use words to communicate. We use words to reveal. And I love how God inspiring John to write this write this gospel, he, God is showing us that Jesus is how he's revealing himself to the world through the word. That word would communicate a couple of important truths for both Jews and Greeks. Remember, this is for the world, excuse me, Jews and Gentiles is for the world. For the Jews, if you were to say the word of God, Immediately, they would think back to the power of the word. They would think of the creative power of the word. They would think about the word being the expression of God's divine power and wisdom. And what John is saying is Jesus is the word. He is the manifestation, the personification of God's divine power and revelation. And then to the Gentiles, everybody else. Um, I'm no Greek philosopher, never will be, but, but in that in that time and in that place, uh, Greek philosophers, uh, they, 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 they put a lot of, of value in what's called the logos. That's the Greek word for the word. And what they would say is that the word is the principle of reason. It's what brings order to the universe. And I love what John is saying is he's communicating to the Jews that Jesus is the word, the divine power and expression of God and to the Greeks, he's saying he's the one that holds it all together. He undergirds everything. He holds it all together. He is the one that brings order to everything that we see and experience. Jesus is the word. He's the personification of the logos to the Greek audience. And so in verse one, again, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. In the beginning was the word. He's always been in the beginning. He was with God. God is the creator. He's the ruler of the universe. The Bible teaches us he has eternally existed in three persons. God, the father, God, the son, the word, and God, the Holy Spirit. Scripture teaches us all are co-equal, all one God. But he communicates about this relationship that the word was with God. And that that word isn't like right now I'm with this table. You know, like this table is with me. I'm with the table. We're, we're here. Like, like our cars come with wheels. Our cabinets come with food. That would be great, wouldn't it? If that, if that happened. But, but like we get, there's association. There, there's one thing is association. One thing is relationship. And that word was with communicates an intimate face-to-face -face relationship. That there has always been unity and perfection in that Trinitarian relationship, all the same essence together. And so in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You will find nowhere in the Bible a clearer, more crisp, more, more uh, to the point description that Jesus is God in the, in the Bible. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, no mistake. So, so let us walk out of here just completely rooted in this gospel truth that Jesus is God. He's God. But now it is possible 
that you have had some people knock on your door before and they're called Jehovah's Witnesses and Jehovah's Witnesses will come and they will have their new world translation. And if you have a conversation with them and they open their Bible and you go to John 1, 1, it will sound very, very similar until that last little part. Whereas the word says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Their translation says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. That changes everything. See, different religions, cult sects can sound very familiar until you drill down on who is Jesus. And in this what they have done is they have created a translation to cater to their convictions, not the other way around. Literally, if you get a Greek translation of the New Testament, there is no letter A in there. There is no article. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus was the Word. He is the Word. Jesus is God. I love how Paul says it in Colossians 1. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. There's encouragement for all of us this morning. If you wonder why, why are you here? What is your purpose? You're made by God, you're made for God, you're made for him. And he is before all things. We just mentioned this in him. All things hold together. He is the logos verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is God. And that is the answer to one of life's biggest questions. Who is Jesus? Maybe you have people asking you in your, where you work or who you go to school with. Like, so who is Jesus anyway? Go John one, John one, one, Jesus is God. He's God. And then he says in verse two, and he was in the beginning with God. In other words, like if you missed it in verse one, let me say it one more time. <laughs> let me repeat that. Let me repeat that. He was in the beginning with God. Yesterday, I went to one of my girls' uh, basketball games, and um, if I heard one word over and over and over, I'm still hearing it over and over and again. It's the word defense. <laughs> defense, defense, defense. I heard defense a billion times. I have defense ringing in my ears. We repeat things when we want people to get things. And so for John, what John is repeating over and over and over, he's saying, Jesus is God. 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 And this changes everything. He changed my life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus changed everything. He changes everything. John MacArthur says confusion about the deity of Christ is inexcusable because the biblical teaching regarding it is clear and unmistakable. Jesus Christ is the eternally preexistent word who enjoys full face to face communion and divine life with the father and is himself God. Jesus is God. Verse three, and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made literally is not even one thing. Jesus made it, everything is created through him and for him. Everything. And I love that word, all things. 
Because if you dig into that word, all things, there are a couple different words that could have been used. And so all of us, I'm probably thinking, maybe went to the grocery store this week, perhaps. Someone, some representative of our family went to the store to get us food, right? And, and so, so I want us to imagine we're going to Kroger, or we're going to Aldi, and we walk through the sliding glass doors. And there is a word for all things when you say it, like kind of this idea, like the, 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 the doors swing open and, and, and we could say God created all things. And so it's like this word that's just like this big, generic, sweeping. He made all of this. He made it all. And then there's another word that John used in, in his gospel for all things. But, but the word he uses is the word for every single thing. So it's this idea of we're going to Kroger, we're going to Aldi, the doors open. It's like, whew, and say, God made all things. So, so he didn't just make everything in the store. He made the spinach and he made the, the celery and he made M&Ms and he made the goat milk and the, and the almond milk and the coconut milk and the vitamin D milk and the 2% milk. And he made the Lay's chips and he made the Doritos chips and he made the Snicker bars and he made flowers and he made pizza and he didn't just make the pizza, but he made the sausage on the pizza. He made the pepperoni on the pizza. He made the cheese on the pizza. He made the, the olives on the pizza, whoever eats those on a pizza. And he made, he makes everything. He even made the box that the pizza's in. He made the shelves that the boxes are sitting in and he made the walls that are closing in the, 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 the thing that it's sitting on right now. Like that, that is who John is saying Jesus is. Jesus is the creator of everything. That's who he is. That's who we serve. That's who we follow. That's who we worship. Jesus is God. He made everything, everything, everything. He made you, he made me and he made us for his glory. Not anything made that was not made through him. And yet there is a theory that says that life was somehow created over billions of years through a random process of celestial ooze running together in such a way that has created this world that we live in. But there is a, in the 1800s, there was this pastor, his name was William Paley, and he, he, he gave a great argument. Um, but he basically said, who in here would, would take a watch? And let's say you've never seen a watch before in your life. All right. So take your watch off, throw it somewhere and you've never seen a watch. And let's say one day you're, you're, you're walking along and you see a watch. There's not a chance that you would look at that watch and you would say that this has always been here. This has just happened. This is a, this is a, 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 a process of ooze forming together over time. We live in an Apple world, at least seems so. A lot of people have smartphones. And so if you just throw a, you've never seen an Apple phone before, you just go throw it somewhere and all of a sudden you're walking one day and you're like, oh, what is this? And you see this, this multifaceted, complicated, uh, just work of, of engineering or whatever. And like, yes, this, like this just happened over time. No, it's like, look, creation demands a creator. Like you, you look at the, at the intricacy and the creation of life. God is creator. 
And I love how in Genesis 1-1, I'm going to get sidetracked just for a minute, but I promise I'm coming right back. But over in Genesis 1-1, where it talks about in the beginning, God created. That word created means out of nothing God created. You can't show me or introduce me to a person in the world that does not believe that something can come from nothing unless you believe in God. Because the question with the, the whole celestial ooze is, well, where did the ooze come from? Like at some point, there must be a creator. And so God is creator. He is creator of all things. Jesus is creator of all things. So Jesus is God, but why did he come? He tells us in verses four and five, he came to give us life and to give us light. That's why he came. Let this encourage you. Let this bless your heart today. Let this encourage you for those people in your life who you desperately love, who are so far from God right now that you are praying, you're praying that they'll, they'll accept Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give us life and light. Verse four says in him was life and life was the light of man. He came to give us life again, not just biological life. We're talking about the real stuff. We're talking about everlasting, eternal, abundant life. This is why he came, he came, he came to give us life because we are spiritually dead people apart from him. He came to give life. He came to give life. Our, our sin, we are all, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin separates us from God. That is a sin barrier that we can't fix and we can't work good enough to make it go away. And so why God had to come. Jesus is God came, lived a life of perfection died a death we should have died. He absorbed the wrath and the judgment of God against our sin so that for all of those who repent of their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord of their lives, he removes the sin barrier. He brings forgiveness. He adopts you as a part of his family, places his spirit inside of you, places a purpose that is way bigger than yourself in your life and grants you life and life eternal. Jesus came to give life Life to the spiritually dead and light to the spiritually darkened. One of my favorite services of the year is our Christmas Eve service. I love it. I love it. I love it. And one of my favorite parts is the, the we'll do a candlelight portion of that. And you've been a part of that perhaps, but basically all the lights are off and we start with one light and that's symbolic. It's a reminder for us. It's just a reminder of the power of light. It's a reminder that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. That's why he's come to give life and to give light to a spiritually darkened world. And, and what's amazing is this is, is there is nothing in the world that can stop. The darkness can do nothing to stop that light. Like it can, if the darkness had a voice, it could scream all it wanted to, but it's not going to extinguish the light. Like, and, and this is what this word is teaching us in verse five. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And again, if you dig into that language, that word, the light shines, it means the light is still shining. It's continuous. The light of Christ has never stopped shining. This is encouragement for us. The light of Christ is still shining. He's still shining the light of who he is to a world that desperately needs him. He is showing that light to show that there is a way to have peace with God, to be forgiven of your sin and be right 
with him and the darkness has not overcome it. The enemies, the, the darkness did everything he can. Just like that candlelight service. There is nothing in the world the darkness could have done to stop that light. There's nothing the enemy can do or has done that could stop that light. And so you can know the enemy is doing everything he can. The Bible teaches us to steal and to kill and to destroy. So he's like a prowling, a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That to a spiritually darkened world, no, there's no creator. There's like Jesus isn't God. Like you believe there's no creator. There's no, there's no God. That means you just live what you want to. There's no judgment. It's just all about you and, and, and like live, live, live. But the reality is, is that is not, that is a lie. That is a lie from the enemy. And so John so loved the world and God so loved the world that John has given us this gospel to introduce us to the only one who can forgive sin and to give life. So as we walk away from the text this morning, I pray for the believers this morning. If you're here and you can trace back a time and a place where you gave your heart to Jesus, let this be a great encouragement to all of us that, that John 1.1 provides this incredible, crystal clear, trustworthy, robust definition of who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And why did he come? He came to give life and he came to give light. And so as a believer, you, you, you perhaps know this, you, you cling to this, but yet perhaps maybe even today, like you're struggling with the ability to be able to say that you're having life and life to the full right now. And we live a broken place and broken things happen, but it is possible that as a believer, you are wrestling with some things right now that you don't, that you know, don't bring honor and glory to him. And so, and so God in his grace is he's given you the light to say, listen, you can yield those things, release those things to me, rest in my grace and my forgiveness, rest in my Holy spirit to give you the power and strength to move forward in victory, have life and life to the full. That's why he's come. And so it could be that you listen in today and, and, and you see, you maybe had this idea of who Jesus is, but, but maybe, maybe even just the word it's that, yes, Jesus is God. Yes. He came to give life and he came light. So how do I do that? How do I do that? The same way every believer in the Lord Jesus has for all time. That is you repent of your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation in his death in his burial and his resurrection. And that he gives light and life. This is Jesus. And John's gospel for the rest of the road is going to be all about unpacking and understanding that Jesus is God. And Jesus came to give light and he came to give life. And he came and he wrote so that you would believe that Jesus is the son of God. And that you would have life, eternal, everlasting Life, life is only found in Jesus. John has been there and he's done that. And he's writing to tell the story by God's grace and God's inspiration. And so we have this gift of a front row seat to see the God man, Jesus Christ, how he came to give us and bring us light and life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is precious. Your word is alive. Your word is sharp. 
And God, I thank you for the testimony of a, of a family fisherman who was a little rough around the edges, who had yielded and surrendered his life to you, your lordship in his life, and you transformed him, changed him. God, that we are the recipients of this divinely inspired gospel account, and we praise you for that. That this word is reminding us and teaching us and informing us from you who you are. You are God. Jesus is God. Has always been eternally coexisted, creator of all things. And yet you have come. Why? To give mankind light and life. So Father, for the believers in the room, may we find ourselves worshiping you for who you are. Worshiping you that you are God. Being amazed at your grace that you so love the world that you came. Resting in your power, in your might. And resting, God, in this light and life that you have gifted us as followers of you. May we, by your grace and through the power of your spirit, walk in your light and walk joyously in your life. And God, I pray for anybody who may be here who does not have a relationship with you, that God, they would hear loud and clear through this gospel how much you love them and how much you love them and you're pursuing them. You're pursuing a relationship with them. The Father, that today would be the day that, that the, the excuses are pushed aside, the maybe one days are pushed out of the way, that today would be the day of salvation, acknowledging their sin, turning from their sin, and trusting in your death, burial, and resurrection for salvation, confessing you as Lord. So God, I pray that you find us as a people completely yielded, completely living for your glory, completely living for your mission. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have a time of response. And what pastors here would love to pray over you. If you uh, maybe just want somebody to pray over you, maybe you just want to quietly worship the Lord or, or kneel at your seat, whatever you want to do. But let's be responsive and worship the Lord in this time.